Hey guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way. Invest your mind and heart into your personal study and connect to God in your everyday life. This is season three, episode 13, Enos Through the Words of Mormon. Um, We are on uh, Corona closure here, and so we had to shut down our big fancy studio and come and podcast at home. Oh wait, we don't have a big fancy studio. We always podcast at home. Um, Thank but, goodness for technology. Yeah, but we are excited for this episode, and we're especially excited because um, we've invited uh, one of my one of our really good friends to be with us on this episode, um, Kaylin Nelson, who we worked together a couple of years ago. Um, Kaylin's a seminary teacher, and Kaylin, we're really glad to have you on. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I gave him a little brief introduction for for who you are, but tell us about yourself. Um, so I grew up in Utah, Eastern and Central Utah, Price and Vernal, and uh, my dad worked for the church as a seminary and institute teacher as well. So I would say it's kind of been in my blood since I was young and um, went to BYU and kind of stumbled into seminary a little bit and then realized that as a junior, I wasn't married in college. And I was like, oh, crap, I got to find a job. And then and then I thought, well, I guess I could teach seminary for a couple of years. And then anyway, I've been teaching for seven years now. And uh, it's just uh, the Lord has his, has his purposes, his work. Anyway, my husband and I live in American Fork and um, I teach at Corner Canyon. So it's been fun. Well, Kaylin, we are just, we're really glad to have you with us. Um, one thing that I think we're excited for, not just have you on the podcast, but you on this specific episode um, because there's a lot of storyline in this episode. There's a, there's a interweaving, interlocking different threads. And, and, uh, and that's something as I taught with you and listened, watched you teach, that's one thing that you were always really, really good at was, um, you have just this excitement and passion for the story of the book of Mormon, for the people and the places and the history and, and all of the goings on. And so it was always fun to come watch your classes because I would always learn something and I'd always feel passionate about what I was learning because it was just you just had this way of making the Book of Mormon feel alive and feel cool and feel like something that we should care about, which for teenagers is always really important. So well, that's a great compliment, but I just, I, for me, if someone asks me what my favorite scripture is, I, I genuinely don't have a favorite scripture. I have favorite scripture stories. Like for me, those are so different. They're like, you know, like this one scripture that's kind of a doctrinal scripture, but for me, I'm like, no, no, scriptures for me about when God interacts with people and, and when we see that interaction come to light. And so, yeah, so for me, I definitely context for me lays the groundwork for principles and relevance and, and application for my life to just start like bleeding out of it just naturally. So, so yeah, I would say I'm a, I'm a little bit passionate about that. That's really good. Well, maybe what let's, let's do this. If we can lay a little bit of a relevant framework. And then, Kaylin, because of your your passion and your perspective on this, we'd love to have you just kind of walk us through the story a little bit and tell us what's going on. Um, as we were talking about this before, we've been studying, you know, the past couple of days. And one of the verses that has stood out to us is in Words of Mormon, chapter one, verse seven. Um, it says this, this is Mormon, of course, explaining the reason why he's included the small plates, which is essentially a, a secondary a recap or not even a recap, but retelling of a story he's already abridged and put in his plates, but he feels prompted to do it. And he says this, 
I do this for a wise purpose. For thus it whispereth me according to the workings of the Spirit of the Lord which is in me. And now I do not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things which are to come. Wherefore, he worketh in me to do according to his will. And I love that there's a couple of truths in that one verse that intersect and may even seem to kind of create some tension with each other. First, easy enough, is the truth that God knows all things and that he works in our world for our benefit. But the companion truth to that is that we don't know all things, but that God works through us to accomplish his work. And those two intersections, that God knows all things, but that he works through us and we don't know all things, creates this kind of interesting and maybe sometimes difficult intersection where we have to work in the name of God and for the benefit of our of our world that we live in, but sometimes with incomplete information. And as we've been talking about coronavirus and a couple of days ago in Utah here, we had an earthquake and just all of the uncertainties that are going on. This seemed like such a relevant study for us to really dig in and try and understand what, how is it that, how does God actually work? What does he do? Um, a lot of our episodes this season have been focused on the personality and the character and the nature of God and trying to figure out who he is so that we can recognize him more in our life. Well, in these chapters, we have multiple examples over hundreds of years of God at work in people's lives. And so the question we want to ask is, what do we learn about how God works through or maybe even around us that helps us make sense of the world that we are currently living in? And so that's the question we'll ask, but Kaylin, walk us through um, where we're going. So I just want to start with a Tadar Collister quote. This is from October 2017. It's his talk called "Compelling God's Compelling Witness, the Book of Mormon. Phenomenal talk. And he says, but even if we suppose that Joseph were a creative and theological genius with a photographic memory, these talents alone do not make him a skilled writer. To explain the Book of Mormon's existence, the critis, critics must also make the claim that the book that Joseph Smith was a naturally gifted writer at age 23. Otherwise, how did he interweave scores of names, places, events into harmonious whole without inconsistencies? How did he pen detail war strategies, compose elegant sermons, coin phrases that are highlighted, memorized, quoted, and placed on refrigerator doors by millions of people? To suggest that Joseph Smith at age 23 possessed the skills necessary to write this monumental work in a single draft in approximately 65 working days is completely counter to the realities of life. That quote to me just like emphasizes, or I think will help emphasize the importance of Enos, Jerem, and Omni and Words of Mormon in the bigger context of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, so we finished Jacob, and um, <clears throat> again, we're on these small plates, and then we get these series of short books. When Jacob ends, we're probably 421-ish. Enos starts about 420-ish. And within the ma a matter of, I don't even count them, one, two, three, four pages, three pages, we're going to pass 300 years of history. Um, just as a side note, so that we're understanding the majesty and the complexity of the Book of Mormon is just Omni chapter one, verse 30. The last author of the small plates is going to say that these are full. And so we get these small, you know, I wrote and then 
my brother wrote or my son wrote, and we're going to pass these down because the plates are filling up and, um, and there's not a lot of space. And so um, I know in your prior podcast um, from last season, you guys did Enos and you focused on Mighty Prayer. Um, and so I think, I mean, Enos is a gold mine, so study Enos, but it, I think for the sake, we'll find some other things. One of the things that I've identified with a lot this um, year at reading through the Book of Mormon is I've just been really interested in the personal stories of the people. And so it was even fun as we moved through, like thinking of Jacob and all that he did. And Enos, I think can be really another way to identify with the scriptures is not only through the broad story, but the personal characters and the people that we're, we're learning about can be really powerful. So many different ways to connect. Yeah. Cause I think Enos is a cool story when you know all about Jacob, then you have Enos and all his experiences and yeah. yeah. So the history, it's, it's just a cool thing it's to think cool. about. It's a cool block. So Kaylin, maybe we can turn it first to you in answer to that question of what do we learn about how God's working in us, through us, around us, that helps us make sense of what we're going through. Um, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? I think Omni, well, so in Omni, so you've got like the passing of the plates and you're going to go down a list of Amaron and Chemish and Abinadam, Amalekite. Anyway, they're going to pass. And it's Chemish that's going to give us this little, oh, sorry, Abinadam, son of Chemish, who's going to give us this little intro to a guy named Mosiah. Now, this is not Mosiah whom the book is after. That's going to be Mosiah's grandson. This is Mosiah the first. And I think in Omni chapter 112, um, Abinadam just gives us this little intro to this man who follows a prompting and, and does something that seems maybe to a lot of people contrary to what they want to do, etc. So in verse 11, um, I'm oh, sorry, verse 12. I'm going to write about a guy named Mosiah who is king over the land of Zarahemla. So he was warned of the land, the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi. If you have any access to like a little, um, the church puts them out in seminary curriculum. Um, I know that you guys have one in your study record. That's awesome. Yours is more beautiful than, you know, <laughs> most people's like depictions. So I really love, I appreciate them anyway. Um, but essentially we've got some movement and, and it's going to get really confusing in the book of Mormon because you've got these different locations. So the Nephites are going to, well, Lehi's family lands, and we would call that the land of the first inheritance. Then Nephi is going to leave his brothers in second Nephi five. And when they, he leaves his brothers, they establish the land of Nephi. And then this Omni records the leaving from the land of Nephi um, because he feels like they need to leave. And so those who will go and listen and hearken, verse 12, to the voice of the Lord, they depart out of the wilderness with him. And they take, in verse 13, they take their things and they leave. Listening to a prompting that he might not understand or know or can't maybe even explain to just say, I think we need to leave again. And so they're going to abandon everything that they've created for the second time. And they're going to go up and then they're going to discover the people of Zarahemla. And I mean, anyway, like these storylines kind of weaving together. And then if you turn the page, Omni chapter one continues and they, they find a stone whereon Coriantumr writes in verse 21. And now we're tying in Jaredites. And Omni is just kind of, I don't know if he understands entirely what he's doing, but for us, he is painting this picture of all of these kind of worlds are colliding and, and, and that's the story of the Book of Mormon. So for me, that ties back to Elder Collister's talk mm. when you just say, whoa, how can he interweave scores of names, places, and events harmoniously, especially considering what's going to happen, you know, 
with words of Mormon, etc. in the future. Yeah, and that I think that underlying or maybe the overlying theme behind that is that God is compelling these people to do things and go places. That his hand is in this work. He's telling these people to go, they, you know, they feel compelled to go to a new land or they feel compelled to go this way because God is is at work in their lives. Well, and it, it reminds me of when we studied Jacob 5 and the allegory of the olive tree and all of the grafting out into the vineyard and grafting in and you've got branches going here and branches coming there. And I think you're, the point you're making, Kaylin, is awesome, which is this is not a story that a man, a mortal man can write this complexity can't be invented. However, it is a testament to God's ability that he's able to graft people into our lives, take parts of us and graft it out into the vineyard. And in this story that he's able to weave multiple storylines together. And I love love that truth that um, God works through people. He works through me, but he also works through other people. And so as people come into my life, as I come into their life, he's at work in all of those different lives um, and doing these minute, but even sometimes complex things to help benefit us all. CES, the church education system had a um, fireside with Elder Bednar recently, and you can look up parts of the transcript, but essentially he talks about living in revelation that so often we talk about revelation as an event. Like I have to have events of revelation. And he talks about like, you're in it, you're in it and it's in your life. And, and I think that with all the craziness out there, I think we ask ourselves the questions like, do I believe that God cares about me? And I genuinely do. And so I genuinely believe that if there's something I should have done with coronavirus to prepare some grand thing, or if I needed to, I believe in a God that cares and loves his children. And so if those things are necessary, I need to trust that if I'm living the way that I should, that God's prompting me and inspiring me. And if I'm not, then take take some counsel from Omni and play your part and don't give up. And I don't know, repent yeah. and, and move forward because I, I just think there's a lot of hysteria. And I, I think, what can you control? You can control you. You can control your faith in God. Um, those are things that you have and maybe as much toilet paper as you've got in your house. But like at the end of the day, like, I don't know if that's like key. I don't know if that's key. I think that's, I just, I don't think there's a coincidence that, you know, that teaching from Elder Bednar, I just think is so beautiful. And then from our prophet and we've actually, it's, it's just so relevant right now from our prophet, the, the hear him. Um, how do you hear God? Do you hear him? That is how we find out what our work is in the Lord, just like these people did. And I think sometimes we can be far enough removed from scripture that we forget that, that we are as much a part of God's work as these men in the scriptures. And maybe that's why these stories can be compelling to us because we see that they're not perfect. They tell us that they're not perfect, but they are a part of it. And I think that we can erase those imperfections and realize that God is willing and ready to work through anyone who is willing to listen to him, who is willing to live in that revelation, because that's what these these stories are ultimately telling us. I think, I guess, maybe I should start with a, a line from my patriarchal blessing. So I got my patriarchal blessing at young, 14. I felt I was like pretty young. And uh, it said... Kaylin, the Lord is now pleased with your life. And then it continued. And I, at 14, I felt pretty good about that. 
And I was like, yeah, he probably is because there's not a lot going on anyway. And, and then years pass. And I remember reading that at 18, 20 and things had happened in life and in high school or whatever that I thought I would read that line. And I would just feel guilt stricken, like not the way he was when I was 14, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's not, he's not, is, is he pleased with my life now? And uh, I, I just think of the lies that Satan tells us when, when we do wrong, when we commit errors and when we, when we make mistakes. And uh, for me, some of those lies are, it'll never be what it, you, what it could have been. Therefore don't try. And you can't, you know, and I just, anyway, so I'm thinking about all of these things as I'm reading words of Mormon and, um, and you can't, you cannot appreciate words of Mormon unless you can appreciate what's happening in 1829. So essentially April, 1829, um, sorry, I shouldn't say April back up July, 1828, Joseph has lost the manuscript pages. And you know the story, Martin wants them, he wants to show his wife, he wants to be validated. Joseph feels uh, torn because Martin's his financial guy, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's devoted, he's one of the only adults that believes him, you know. I mean, Joseph's going to have a very young following, it's going to be a very young church, and, um, and, and Martin Harris is going to be one of those cores of those in the older generation that are going to believe him and validate him. And I think Joseph just finds so much strength in that. And Martin's also wealthier than the Smith family. Anyway, so Martin loses the pages because Joseph gives in and he feels that social pressure. And um, I think in section three, you can, the Lord's reply to Joseph having lost them kind of shows what Joseph's probably thinking at the time. I mean, Joseph's, in a dark place. Um, he thinks his soul is lost. Um, I think I had a quote. Oh, Lucy Mack Smith. She says this about Joseph in this time. Um, I besought him not to mourn so for perhaps the Lord would forgive him after a short season of humiliation and repentance. What I, but what could I do to comfort him when he saw all the family in the same situation of mind as himself for sobs and groans and the most bitter lamentations filled the house. However, Joseph was more distressed than the rest, as he better understood the consequence of disobedience, and he continued pacing back and forth, meanwhile weeping and grieving until sunset by when, by persuasion, he took a little nourishment. Mom's trying to feed him because she's so worried about him, and Joseph just won't. Mm-hmm. He just won't give it. He's so, he thinks he has ruined the Book of Mormon. How do you ruin the Book of Mormon? You know, and I just like Joseph playing in his head like thousands of years and people writing on these plates. And I finally get them after four years. And then I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. And Satan's pounding the idea of and it will never be the same. And you Mm -hmm. can't. And you and I just I feel that I feel that kinship to Joseph on a much smaller level. (laughs) So good. You know, that. The verse right after verse seven that we read at the beginning in Words of Mormon, verse eight, um, maybe speaks a little bit to what you're saying, where he says, my prayer to God concerning my brethren, that they may once again come to a knowledge of God in the redemption of Christ. They may once again be a delight some people. And what you're saying is that um, 
God works through us and his knowledge is so much larger and, and broader, of course, than ours is. Uh, and so there are times when we may think that we are messing up God's plans for us or for our family, um, but there's no real way to mess up God's plans. There's not. There's a way to, of course, because of our agency, choose not to participate in them. But if we're if we're staying close to Him and we're striving, you can't you can't mess up God's plans. I just do we believe that. Do we honestly believe that we can't mess it up and that God is on our side? Or do we, do we genuinely think that on, a, on one dark day of a 90-year life that we made a choice and, and that was it? And I just, God is so much more merciful. So in DNC section three, I'll just flip there and notice the words that God tries to, I mean, Joseph's going to have to, he's going to go through a time of, repentance, right? He's going to, he's, the Lord's not just going to say, no big deal, Joseph. Here's the plates again. Go for it. I mean, Joseph's going to go through a time of consequences, but I love 10 and 11 in section three, but remember God is merciful. Therefore repent of that, which thou hast done, which is contrary to the commandment, which I gave you. And thou art still chosen and thou art again called to the work. You're still chosen, Joseph. And you're again called to the work and you can't mess it up and you didn't mess it up. And I love, and again, so then you were just, so now we're going back to the book of Mormon and we're thinking (laughs) God is anticipating Martin Harris's blunder and Joseph Smith's weakness hundreds, if not thousands of years prior to them even making the mistake. Mm -hmm. God prompts Nephi and he's like, make two records and Nephi's like, why? And he's like, you know what? There's going to be a guy in about, I don't know, a couple of thousand, hundred thousand years. And he's going to, you know, you just, just make two records. It's a shorter, it's a shorter if I just say, just do it. Just and do it. just and trust me. Just yeah. trust me. And then, and then Nephi's like, okay. And so he's like, I don't know why. And then he, you know, goes about his merry business. And then Omni um, finishes the plates and gives us some historical context to kind of you know, where they kind of end. And then he closes the record. I say Omni, the book of Omni, but the mm-hmm. author who we love is a Malachi who's going to finish it. Anyway, he closes it. And then we fast forward to 400 AD and Mormon. We get then, so then we kind of dub back to words of Mormon. And um, Mormon is essentially abridging the record. And he's creating this, you know, this, compilation of all the small stories and so verse six and then we get to our like driving verses seven and eight i'm doing this for a wise purpose and i don't know why and but but i'm gonna do it because i know that god loves his children and 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 these are gonna be good for some reason you know and he's just not even knowing not even knowing that's so good well what you're saying brings up this and, and Krista had to step out to go take care of crying kids. So I'm speaking on her behalf, but um, these are the words, the the point that she found as she was studying that I love in Jerem one verse nine. And then um, in Omni one verse six, there's a word that shows up in both places that maybe speaks to what we're talking about and, and can be a fitting conclusion here. In Jerem one nine, Jerem, uh, just says, he's talking about a battle, but he says, and thus being prepared to meet the Lamanites, they did not prosper against us, but the word of the Lord was verified, 
which he spake unto our fathers, saying, Inasmuch as you will keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land. Jerem's underlying testimony is, uh, because God knows all, and when God speaks, his word becomes law, his word will always be verified. And so if he says, if you obey my commandments, you'll prosper in the land, it has to happen. That's Jerem's testimony. Omni uh, teaches this. Um, for the Lord, well, this is Amaron, so not Omni himself, but verse 6. The Lord will not suffer after he has led them out of the land of Jerusalem and kept and preserved them from falling into the hands of their fathers or their enemies. Yea, he would not suffer the words should not be verified, which he spake unto our fathers, saying that inasmuch as you will not keep my commandments, you shall not prosper in the land. It's a reversal of the promise. They're both pointing at different sides of that promise that was originally made to Nephi. Yeah. And Nephi. But the point is the same, that when God speaks, his word will be verified. And what we're talking about here is that... Um, he verifies that word. He works to accomplish that word in sometimes ways that we may not fully understand. We may look at ourselves and think that we're not capable, that we have sins that need to be repented of before he can work through me. How can he possibly ever work through a prophet who misplaces 116 pages? And yet he does. How can he possibly work through me in this current coronavirus age to the benefit of my family and my community when I have all these different things going on in my life? And yet he does. And I love what you're teaching, Kaylin, and what we're learning that the Lord does work through us, even though we're imperfect and we don't have that full knowledge, because he is perfect and he has full knowledge and he knows how to use us and work through us to accomplish his will. Well, I think just just too quick, I mean, the standard of truth from Joseph Smith, it's been erected. No unhallowed hand can stop the work. I am not hallowed and I cannot stop the work from progressing. Persecution's armies, etc. they're not going to stop the work and mm-hmm. you aren't stopping the work either. And then there's this also another Tatar Callister quote, Callister, in summary, in summary, the Savior's atonement gives us life for death, beauty for ashes, healing for hurt, perfection for weakness. It is heaven's antidote, antidote to the obstacles and the struggles of the world. Because of the Savior's atonement, there is no external force or event or person or sin or death or divorce that can prevent us from achieving exaltation, provided we keep God's commandments. I think that that, just with what, with Krista's point of, of verify that, that if we keep the commandments, then we will prosper. Um, that doesn't mean that if we didn't keep them at some point, that we can't start keeping them now. And, uh, and I think in this time, I had a friend who said, my neighbor's in a panic. She's having a faith crisis right now. And all of these things are happening and she doesn't know what to do. And I just thought the words of God will be verified. If we keep the commandments, we will prosper in the land and we have to trust that. That's so good. Uh, and even the message from our prophet, right? That the Lord is bound when we do what he says. Yeah. Well, Kaylin, thank you. Fun. Thank you so much for being with us. This has been really, really fun to study and to look at a story 2,000 years ago, spanning hundreds of years, that sounds really, in some ways, really similar to what we're going through today. And and hopefully, listeners, as you're studying this week on your own and with your families, you can find those uh, those truths in there about how God works, how He does what He does, that helps you and your family make sense of not just what's going on in the world, but what's going on in your personal uh, and in your family lives. Our testimony is that that's exactly what the Book of Mormon is designed to do, to be God's word to us in our times of need, 
to help us strengthen us and, and help us work according to his will for the benefit of our families and for others. And I'm back in time just to say thanks <laughs> to Kaylin for being here with us. We're so grateful. It's fun to hear your enthusiasm and wisdom. So thank you so much for being with us and thanks everyone for listening. We hope you have a great week and um, enjoy this time as we are more at, enjoy your more at home time, I should thank say. <laughs> thanks guys. Thanks, Kaylin. <laughs>